0: Okay, moment of transparency again. You know, sometimes I take a look at what's new in the data and I'm like, all right, you know, I'm done. I mean, it just moves so fast. I remember when I was a resident, being evidence-based meant that you were practicing in line with some of the data that was out in the previous 10 years. Well, 10 years? That stuff is outdated now. Now, in order to be evidence-based, consensus opinion is is that the data should not be any older than five years. And it's suggested that information is moving so fast that to be evidence-based, you've got to stay up on the data within three to four months because things are moving so quickly. In other words, if our medical students do a presentation and they reference articles from 10 years ago, that may not be relevant anymore. And while we used to accept data from five years ago, that window is getting even smaller because information moves so fast. Well, it moves really fast for the topic that we're covering today, which is hypertension in pregnancy. Yeah, I know, we all know about hypertension in pregnancy. We all trained with that. That's not new. But some of the new ideas, some of the new guidelines, my goodness, some of the new definitions of even what preeclampsia may be in the future, even that's changing or about to change. So I thought, it's the start of 2022. It's a great time to review the most recent California Maternal Quality Care Collaborative or CMQCC update on hypertension, specifically regarding pregnancy, and even highlight some information from a November 2021 article on preeclampsia that came out of the journal Hypertension. Listen, the California Maternal Quality Care Collaborative is a big voice in this space. And what they have to say is kind of shocking the pre-eclampsia world. Ready? Let's get into new updates on hypertension, specifically regarding pregnancy, now. Just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practices because medicine moves fast. This is Clinical Pearls. Worldwide, hypertensive complications during pregnancy are implicated in over 50,000 maternal deaths every year. In the United States, about 8-10% to 10% of all pregnancies are complicated by some form of hypertension, with severe preeclampsia and chronic hypertension showing a steady temporal increase over the last several decades. Now, here's something very interesting. While the rates of both chronic hypertension and preeclampsia or eclampsia have increased in the United States, there's been a concurrent reduction in maternal mortality due to preeclampsia or eclampsia. However, there's been an increase in maternal mortality because of chronic hypertension in pregnancy. So, y'all get that? The mortality rate with severe preeclampsia or eclampsia has dropped, but the mortality rate for women with chronic hypertension who end up getting pregnant is actually terrible. The reasons for improving preeclampsia or eclampsia-related maternal mortality are many, but likely reflect improved management of blood pressures, the use of magnesium sulfate for severe preeclampsia and eclampsia, and early recognition of HELP syndrome. However, women with chronic hypertension who end up getting pregnant tend to go under the radar. Well, in November 2021, out of the journal Hypertension, there's a great data review called preeclampsia. Very fitting, right? But here's a statement that's really shocking because this is a huge data review all throughout the country. And in this November 2021 publication, here's what they found. That study showed a three-fold decline, that's good, in preeclampsia or eclampsia-related maternal mortality. Fantastic. However, there was a 15-fold increase in maternal mortality associated with chronic hypertension in pregnancy. You see, we can't just give all the attention to preeclampsia. We've got to treat chronic hypertension in pregnancy a little better and a little tighter. Here's some of the reasons why chronic hypertension in pregnancy tends to do worse in preeclampsia. And this is again according to the November 2021 article. The optimal management of chronic hypertension in pregnancy, the truth is, still remains somewhat controversial and uncertain. Current strategies involve baseline assessment for subclinical disease, like renal or cardiac assessment in the first trimester, which is great, as well as frequent monitoring of blood pressure throughout visits. Again, all good stuff. There's also the frequent use of ultrasound to detect fetal growth restriction, and all of that is fantastic. However, optimal antepartum blood pressure management still remains uncertain because experts continue to debate the risks and benefits of more aggressive antihypertensive management among patients with, quote, mild disease. Now, we're going to get into this a little bit more in this session, but the truth is, in women with chronic hypertension, we really need to pay attention to those target blood pressures and keep blood pressures under 150s with diastolics in the 80s or low 90s it shouldn't really cross any higher than that and here's another issue that we're going to discuss is the tighter control of gestational hypertension i know we're talking about chronic hypertension but i'm going to touch on gestational hypertension a little bit later on as well because i told you that this california initiative is kind of shaking things up well they're pushing for more aggressive blood pressure control during gestational hypertension but that's going to be talked about a little bit further down the road All right. I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month and six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I don't want to let go of this issue of chronic hypertension because there's some important stuff and important numbers that we have to remember. The prevalence of chronic hypertension in women of childbearing age has been reported to vary from 0.6% to greater than 22%, depending on the age, BMI of the patient, ethnicity of the patient, with about 1 to 5% of pregnant women having chronic hypertension affecting pregnancy. Remember that. So 1 to 5% of pregnant women have chronic hypertension affecting pregnancy the rate of chronic hypertension in the pregnant population has been increasing at a steady rate since 1999. So remember, if you're taking your oral boards or somebody asks you about why this whole buzz about hypertension exists, the answer is very simple. Hypertension is a significant comorbidity for a large number of pregnancy-related deaths. Women with a history of chronic hypertension also represent a significant percentage of those who can end up dying from cardiomyopathy. Now remember I said that this California Maternal Quality Care Collaborative, the CMQCC, is shaking things up in the chronic hypertension and preeclampsia world? Well, that's because they really are pushing for a change in the definition or blood pressure cutoffs for preeclampsia. Now, remember that in 2017, the American College of Cardiology and the American Heart Association changed the criteria for hypertension. Remember that. But ACOG and other groups have not yet adopted that change in definitions. But it's important to note that the data does actually show that those women with lower levels of hypertension under the 140 over 90 cutoff actually are kind of at really high risk. Recent data evaluating the effect of the ACC and AHA categorization found that pregnant women who presented to care with stage 1 hypertension Remember that stage 1 hypertension are those with systolic blood pressures from 130 to 139 and diastolics still in the 80s, between 80 and 89, that women with this stage 1 hypertension below the cutoff that ACOG uses for preeclampsia. These women were still two to threefold increased risk for the subsequent development of a hypertensive disorder of pregnancy. This supports the fact that these patients are at increased risk for all pregnancy related complications of pregnancy. Okay, so what are we trying to say here? No, ACOG and SMFM has not changed the 140 over 90 blood pressure cutoff for preeclampsia. But there's a lot of data pushing that number down to 130 over the 80s It's that stage 1 hypertension so that we're all talking the same language remember right now the definition of preeclampsia is what the American Heart Association and the American College of Cardiology already considers class 2 hypertension so there's a disagreement a disconnect between these professional bodies remember team we're still talking about chronic hypertension so now let's get into this tight control of blood pressure i mean is it worth it or are we going to cause fetal injury while well, the most effective therapeutic approach to women with chronic hypertension during pregnancy is controversial, we've already said that. Treatment trials have been limited in size and have yielded mixed results. Many experts argue that treatment of hypertension outside of pregnancy is directed towards reducing the longer-term risk of cerebral, vascular, and cardiac events, and the duration of pregnancy is unlikely to influence these outcomes in patients with mild chronic hypertension. But the largest randomized control trial of the degree of blood pressure control showed that tighter control was in fact associated with a reduction in progressive to severe disease during pregnancy. Two Cochrane reviews are also available and have detailed the results of treatment of mild and moderate chronic hypertension during pregnancy. And in these reports, the use of beta blockers and methyl dopa were both associated with reductions in progression to severe disease, and beta blockers were also associated with reductions in proteinuric preeclampsia, eclampsia, and neonatal respiratory distress syndromes. So, yay for labetalol. However, nifedipine didn't work so well. There was some concerns that nifedipine use for chronic hypertension in pregnancy, ironically, could be associated with a modest increased risk for the development of superimposed preeclampsia. So, what's the idea here? Well, there is data that tight control of chronic hypertension during pregnancy has maternal value. So, according to the California Maternal Quality Care Collaborative, It seems prudent to initiate antihypertensive medication during pregnancy when chronic hypertension meets a certain value, and that value is greater than a systolic of 140 to 150 and a diastolic of 90 to 100. See, told you that was shaking things up because traditionally with chronic hypertension, we would see a patient and go, hey, your pressure is 150 over 90, great. We'll keep going. It's not severe, and we're not going to start any meds because we don't want to affect the perfusion to the child. Well, nothing actually happened to the perfusion of the child based on the data. And so once again, although not universally accepted, it is a recommendation from the California Maternal Quality Care Collaborative that we should probably be treating those 140s to 150s over 90 to 100s chronic hypertension in pregnancy. Okay, so we've already established that tight control for chronic hypertension is probably better for maternal reasons. And remember, any patient with chronic hypertension, they need that aspirin during pregnancy because they're considered high risk for hypertensive disorders of pregnancy. But what about gestational hypertension? Should we treat those? Now, everybody agrees that if you get a severe blood pressure, then you become preeclampsia with severe features, even though you're not proteinuric. We get that. Women with gestational hypertension who present with severe range of blood pressure values should be managed the same as in women with preeclampsia with severe features, and that includes administration of antihypertensive meds, the use of sulfate for the prevention and treatment of seizures, and delivery at 34 weeks or more. And historically, remember that for gestational hypertension, in other words, non-severe blood pressure, that's non proteinuric Nobody treated that, right? I mean, if you got severe, then we treated you as preeclampsia with severe features. But we kind of let these women go with gestational hypertension with blood pressures in the 150s to the 90s as long as they, quote, weren't severe. But treatment of gestational hypertension is actually much more controversial than just that. In one of the largest treatment trials to date called CHIPS. Yeah, like the tortilla chip that included women with chronic hypertension and gestational hypertension, tighter blood pressure control, and that was defined as a diastolic between 85 to no more than 100 that was associated with less frequent progression to severe hypertension. There was also reductions in thrombocytopenia and elevated liver function tests, but these did not reach a pre-specified p-value of less than 0.01 in that data. There was, however, no change in neonatal outcomes. In other words, there seemed to be maternal benefit, but it really didn't have any neonatal benefit. Nonetheless, based on this CHIPS trial, many centers in the U.S. have initiated treatment with patients with gestational hypertension just for maternal benefit. Now, regardless of whether treatment intervention is initiated or not, this group of patients, these gestational hypertensives, are at high risk of worsening disease, so close monitoring with either weekly or biweekly surveillance is needed. You see, I told you that was shaking things up. I mean, we typically don't give antihypertensive meds for gestational hypertension unless they hit that severe range. But the California Maternal Quality Care Collaborative and others are saying, wait a minute, we're letting a lot of women go with really moderate hypertension. That's not good for them. So remember that there is data that keeping tighter control for gestational hypertension, just like with chronic hypertension, actually has maternal value. So what have we covered? We've covered chronic hypertension and this idea that tight control can be beneficial. We've also touched on gestational hypertension. And once again, that just because women don't hit that severe blood pressure criteria, which crosses them over to preeclampsia with severe features, that maybe those women should be treated as well. But the CMQCC does make a distinction about preeclampsia. So we talked about chronic hypertension, gestational, and I wanna say something about preeclampsia, because it's a term that we use all the time. I just used it today, and I'm guilty of it. I said, I think she's just mild preeclampsia. Oops. I mean, well, what's wrong with that, right? Mild preeclampsia. I get that. Well, CMQCC, again, shaking things up, but they've got a good reason to not use the term mild or severe preeclampsia. Listen to this the terms mild and severe preeclampsia, according to the California Maternal Quality Care Collaborative, should no longer be used. The updated recommendation is to use the terms preeclampsia without severe features or preeclampsia with severe features. The prior rigid assignment of patients with this condition into a category of, quote, mild preeclampsia, end quote, was often detrimental to the appropriate management of a patient because it suggested a form of disease with minimal clinical sequelae. But this disease is often not static or stable, and it can evolve quickly from preeclampsia without severe features to preeclampsia with severe features. So remember, stop calling it mild preeclampsia or severe preeclampsia and use the much more favored terms of preeclampsia without severe features or preeclampsia with severe features. Lastly, the CMQCC reminds us that you don't need protein... To be severe preeclampsia, severe preeclampsia criteria involves blood pressure criteria alone of greater than or equal to 160 over 100 or any of the lab abnormalities or symptoms like visual disturbances, right upper quadrant pain, or pulmonary edema. We get that. So remember that severe preeclampsia in the old terminology, now called preeclampsia with severe features, doesn't always have to be proteinuric hypertension. Because protein, remember, gets you the definition of preeclampsia, but you don't need protein to be preeclampsia with severe features. Man, we covered a lot of information from chronic hypertension to gestational hypertension to preeclampsia without severe features to preeclampsia with severe features. Remember that cardiovascular disease is the number one killer of women every single year in the United States. That's why there's a whole new subspecialty coming out of cardiology called cardioobstetrics to try to bridge this gap and take care of this high-risk population, these women with chronic hypertension in pregnancy, and these cardiomyopathy patients specifically related to peripartum or pregnancy care. No, we're not getting rid of MFM, thank goodness. But this serves as another line of medical experts to work with the general OBGYN, MFM specialists, and now this new burgeoning subspecialty out of cardiology called cardio obstetrics. So if you haven't heard about that, it's already launched. It actually got underway in 2021. But it's all about taking care of the patient. So we shouldn't have a turf war of whose patient it belonged to because the truth is it belong to all of us because we're all on the same team. As always, thanks for being part of our podcast family. We'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls.